Hi, I'm John Sumster, and I'm here to welcome you to another episode of The Work. The Work is a podcast that I do with co-host Gene Achille, and in The Work, we try to have conversations that are meaningfully deeper than what you'd encounter elsewhere in the HR and HR tech world. We talk to the people who make the industry what it is because they think so deeply and so hard and invent such great things. Today, we're going to have Randy Womack, who is the CEO and founder of Socrates.ai. Socrates is an alternative way of thinking about how AI works in organizations rooted in the idea that the organization is uh, a single thing that each individual employee should have a relationship with, and Socrates provides that relationship interface. Randy, how are you? I'm good, John. It's great to see you. Thank you for hosting me and Gene too. Yeah. So, so tell us the origin story. That's that's the where where, where did Socrates come from? That's a great question, and it comes from you know we do, I've done a long tour of duty in HR and IT, and I'm a technologist at heart. But I was so frustrated. It wasn't just me. There was a group of us that founded it, and we were so frustrated that when you logged into a company, that single sign-on stopped with username and password. It was like, why don't we just stop there, right? Why can't I ask the company anything I want next? And why can't I do all the things that the company asked me to do? So as a user, especially inside of a large enterprise, we were just so frustrated with the user experience of you know, what everybody was asking us to do and when we needed help, how hard it was to get. And, and it was equally interesting that from being on the leadership side for so long is that when you meet with leaders, whether they're HR leaders or benefits leaders or IT leaders or the CEO, they make such huge investments in their employees and try to give them as much financial assistance and wellness and as many programs as they can. But, but the net result is, you know, from a user experience point of view, it was just awful. So that was the foundation of Socrates. You know, um, Randy, if I could step us back just a moment, because you talk about your career in HR and IT, but I'm not sure all of our listeners know what that career looks like. So could you just, uh, could we ask you to name drop a little bit? Sure. So I started my career really early on as an early employee of Dell Computer. And then I joined a Venrock startup called Artificial Linguistics, which was my first entry early on in my career a long time ago into AI, um, which was acquired by Oracle, um, spent some time at Xerox, and then decided, okay, I love this big company stuff, but I really want to get back to startups. And so then I joined a company called, it was an e-commerce company called Digital Ripper, which we took public um, after, and I joined them as CIO. After Digital River went public, then I got recruited by Greylock as an operating partner, not an investment partner. So I worked a lot with the portfolio companies. And one of the portfolio companies that I worked with was SuccessFactors. So I joined SuccessFactors with about 40 people. Um, was a terrific ride. That's where I learned first tour of duty in HR and, and learned a lot about people management and performance and, and compensation. Um, stayed with them through going public and then left about a year before the SAP acquisition and then got recruited into healthcare and um, a company called Castlight with a very well-known founder who's absolutely terrific. And they were looking at a consumer model, and I encouraged them to look at an enterprise model for benefits, um, and because I thought what they were doing was terrific. So joined them with about 40 people, took them to 100 million in three years, took them public, 
Um, and then shortly after public, like I normally do, I went back and wanted to go um, back to a startup and do this all over again. Just ask me why I don't know. <laughs> this is like Groundhog's um, Day for you, Randy. <laughs> it, it really is. And that eventually led to the formation of Socrates because we took all the experience that we had from benefits leaders and all the experience that we had from HR leaders, understanding the complexity of what they face with languages and global and, and all the nuances and complexity that are there combined with you know our years of experience and, and finally came back and said, it's time, we have the technology. Instead of this being relational database forms kind of software, let's change it up and really focus on optimizing for the user experience and making things much more, much better for the employee and focus on them as 100% of the use case, not the department leader. Well, you've certainly seen it from the details up. That's, that's one, of, one of the things I like about spending time with you is that your view of the world is a generalized view of the world, but it is so rooted in operational detail that, that um, there's a kind of a sturdiness to the way that you think about things. So, so with, with that in mind, talk, talk a little bit about what the challenge is of turning all of the, all of the stuff that an organization holds into something that becomes a seamless conversation with a, an employee. Yeah, it's it gets to be, and those of you that have worked in HR operations or IT operations, it gets really complex fast, right? If we were going to, and this is where I get really tickled with a lot of the technologies because they want to go through, you know, here's kind of the path for an employee. But, or the workforce could be a contingent worker. But when you really start saying, okay, I want to map anything that anybody can ask in anything that we want to do. And most of that time, it's things the company's asking them to do, such as change your address or declare your marital status or change your withholding or you know, pick any of those that we ask from a self-service model for employees to help us lower our cost of goods sold then it gets wicked really fast. I mean, think about just benefits. You've got a benefits portal in the US, you've got a benefits portal in every major country and the benefits aren't related. You know, talk to somebody in Europe about a 401k program and watch their eyes cross, right? What are you talking about? And so the, the complexity is super fast, uh, is super complex. In addition to when you start looking at system, what I call systems, and you look at all the applications. So look at how many ERP systems are in a large enterprise company. Look at how many payroll systems are in a large enterprise company. Um, and that doesn't include benefits. Benefits will have between 20 to 50 applications alone. If you think about mental health and EAP and cancer diagnosis and second opinion programs, you know, it's really complex. And for the end user um, or the person who's this real important person as part of our company, really needs to do something in their lives. It's just almost, un, you know, it's overwhelming to try and deal with that stuff. So from a technology point of view, it is too. So there were, there were two major themes that we took when we started looking at Socrates as a platform. The first is you have to deal with content and content's hard, right? Because there's federated sources. Think about, you know, you've got all stuff in service now, you've got stuff in the workday, you've got multiple SharePoint sites. You know, you've got content spread out all over the place. So we can talk a lot more about content. But what we wanted to get away from was the idea of search. Search does nothing more. It kind of hides the answer. It says, okay, here's a whole bunch of docs that may help you. Now you're stuck searching through all these docs, trying to find the right answer. And the truth is, we don't keep those docs current. 
right? We don't have compliance rules against them. Maybe we sleep through them once or twice a year, but most people really can't even tell you how much content they have. What I can tell you in HR for almost any large enterprise, they have a lot of content. It's mind-blowing. So from experiences, we'll see as many as 2,000 documents or 30,000 pages of content um, that they're expecting employees to go find the answers from on their own. So one of the big themes was we need to focus on giving people answers, not search results. Let's answer their question and let's answer their question in a straightforward way. And let's know what we're telling them. So we can talk more about that because that gets into user experience and it gets into the real power of a digital conversation and a digital conversation um, user uh, interface versus like a AI chatbot and what the differences are. But it's also the same thing on um, systems of record, right? If you're going to change your address, do you really need to learn how to go do SAP? Can I just ask me three questions and let me do it if I need to change my withholding or my marital status? You know, how do we make it much closer to consumer experiences? And so our whole model was how do we replicate what's happening in the consumer world, whether it's TikTok, whether it's Reddit, whether it's YouTube, and we can talk more about that as for the future. But the idea was very much, let's make it as simple and easy as we can for people to ask questions and create a voice of the company that the company knows what we're telling people. That's a lot, John, I know. Um, that, that is a lot. I have a quick question, though. Who, who owns the answers in the content? I mean, HR people are so swamped and stretched to begin with. Who, who's supposed to be making sure the content is gold standard? And, and you know, it's like when I go on Google and I, I search skin rash and I have now, you know, 3,000 pages of what I could possibly have. Like, who owns this? That's all right. So it's, it's a great question and it's multidimensional, Gene. So the first, and this is what kind of overwhelms people or, or becomes a challenge because most people think of it through it kind of in, in steps. And first of all, we will do the content transformation for you. We'll also do the content transformation into conversational answers. Yes, no. Can I wear jeans on Friday versus giving me a, a policy? Or, you know, are the parking lots open? Can I go to work? Or do I need a vaccine to get it? Pick all your questions, right? So, so but it starts with most companies get their minds around it by saying, can you really help us clean up our content? And that's where most vendors are really afraid. It's very hard to find a vendor that will go in there and say, we're going to read your policies and we're going to tell you where they conflict. They have the long, wrong logos. They've got the wrong dates. And we are content experts. And we've had to be for that exact same reason, because when you face an HR organization, we have to do the work for them. And it can't be some multi-million dollar services engagement that's a drive-by shooting, right? Mm -hmm. It's got to be an ongoing, continuing experience that things are getting updated. Now, um, as John will also tell you, though, there, there's a very strategic lens to this because for the very first time in a digital conversation, meaning that somebody's typing something into a messaging window, whether it's Microsoft Teams or it's SMS, pick your channel that they're wanting to ask the company a question, you have them in the moment that matters, right? You have their ears open if we're going to use HR language. What you say to them matters. Everything that we've preached for the last 20, 30 years in HR, you've got them one-on-one -on -one in a moment that you can give them a premeditated, pre-calculated response that should not be a policy document. Mm -hmm. Right. But people have a very hard time. So the first step is let's get your content in order. Let's get your arms around what you have. Let's get it 
accurate. Let's make sure you know what you're telling people. One of the most common questions I get when we're doing content transformations is, how is the system going to know when I've got 10 documents on COVID, which one they should read and which mm -hmm. one has their answer? Mm -hmm. And I always smile because it's, well, how do you expect your end user to know that either? Wow. And yeah, exactly. What, what, ha what happens when we update one of those documents and we don't update the others? Mm -hmm. How do you expect an end user to know that? And, and don't miscalculate or misunderstand, you know, if you're in IT, what people are super focused on is automation and automation is fabulous. You know, can you reset my, can you unlock my Okta account? Can you reset my password? Super important functionality. But the truth is if you, once you get beyond that and you look at what's in the shared service centers, whether it's HR or IT, they're almost all informational questions. I can tell you that Microsoft is in the top three, which is a huge compliment to Microsoft because they have three of the best products in the and the platform, but they're also in the top three of what people are asking about, you know, how do I get 30 people on a Zoom? You know, how do I do this? How do I do that? And it all relates back to content. So transactions are what people love. Wow, I was able to do that in one second. Wow, it was personalized for me. You saved me an immense amount of time. And that's where the that's where everybody gets excited. And that's where users get really, really high adoption but don't underestimate the importance of content, both in the HR impact that you have on an individual, but also in your ability to solve their problem. We can talk more about that, but you know, I could turn this into three hours versus 30 <laughs> minutes, so sorry. And John's <laughs> chomping at the bit here, so John, please. <laughs> well, oh, well, well, so, so you, you make this really, really interesting point that, that, that I love to talk to you about, and that is, much of what passes for AI and much of what passes for automation um, ignores the content. It absolutely ignores the content. It, it makes all these assumptions about the content, and the content is the hardest thing to maintain of it all. But you have to go out into a market where the promise is fast and easy automation with no friction and... Uh, uh, what you say, what you have to say to people is not only is there friction, but there's ongoing friction and you need to address that to make your automation work. You must get tired of preaching that message. Actually, I don't. It's actually, it's, it's because the people that we work are with are so strategic and such good thought leaders. So to me, that's the difference in a conversational AI chatbot and a conversational platform or conversational um, interface. We call it a user experience platform. And the reason is just exactly what you said, which is like, for instance, I'm super proud of one of the customers we're taking live right now, because in SharePoint, the way they have everything set up is that you can't, like if you said, what are my medical benefits? Italy can't see the US and the US can't see Japan because it's partitioned out. But once you get somebody where they're starting to think about this is a digital conversation that I really want to have with this person on the other end. It's very different than thinking I should have this AI chatbot that's supposed to be the smartest human being in the world and can take care of everything. They start thinking about it as what's the message that I would want to give this employee and what's the experience that I want to have and let's get that programmed into the system. A couple simple examples like with them, they're rethinking that why do we make medical benefits exclusive only to the country that's doing it. We've got people that may want to move there. They've got friends that they may be recruiting. Mm -hmm. You know, if you say, can I see the benefits? And, and there, it's forcing them to rethink it. And I love public information, so I'm a huge fan of it. 
So it's actually been super interesting to see. And John, to your other point, just pulling it back together is yes, you know, if I took a classic HR taxonomy and, and said, do people always do? So if you did machine learning, would you always answer the question based on a classic HR taxonomy? The answer is not in a million years. You know, when you really get in and people are thinking about what's the message or what are the expressions and what's the result that I want to come back, all of a sudden it gets very specific to the company and it gets very specific to the leaderships, independent of what some HR taxonomy would tell you it's supposed to be. And some of it's organic, like for instance, bereavement. If we're going to talk about death, you're going to talk about bereavement to an HR person and they're going to categorize it that way. If we talk about death to an end user, it's death of a friend, death of a family, right. you know, and it's those totally types different, of things. Yeah, totally yes, different totally. context. Yeah. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, if you're an employee and your grandfather has just passed away, you know, you need to know how much time you can take. Um, uh, you know, it's it's a very different experience, a much more emotionally charged experience. So, Gene, I don't want to cut you off, but I'll tell you another lesson learned through all this, which is one of the prospects that we're talking to has 690 time off policies. Some of our existing customers have 200. Really? I mean, when you yes, when you really start looking at what's happening inside of these large organizations and you're saying, hey, I want to take you know, I need to take some type of leave, looking at all the different type of leave policies and then making it personalized to the individual. And you've got 690 of them. It's not as simple as people think. And I'll tell you one more customer lesson that's in there. What you have configured in your system of record is not necessarily what you want to show um, in a user experience. Simple example, emergency contacts. We see customers that have 20 and 30 emergency contacts configured in their system of record, right? But really, how many emergency contacts do you need? My spouse, my partner, my kids, you know, from a user Hopefully. experience point of view. You know, Someone who will pick up the phone, right? <laughs> exactly. So if you really want, if you really look at what's configured in these system of records and you change your lens from what is it that we have this person that, okay, their parent died. This is super important to them. Mm -hmm. What do we want to say to them? What do we want their experience to be? How easy do we want this to be? That becomes the right criteria instead of domain experts saying, well, there are 30 different types of emergency contacts. Yes, there are. You are correct. But that is very different than what's the user experience in the moment that we're trying to have in a digital conversation. And that's the shift in thinking that I'm beginning to see HR leaders and IT leaders have. They're moving beyond do I have this bot that's supposed to be omnipotent, which we all know it's not, and people are disappointed with, to thinking about this is a digital conversation where I have the ability to have a strong influence in the message that I have with this person one-on-one -on -one, instead of them calling me on the phone and me answering their questions directly. How do you stop from being considered a chatbot? I mean, that, this, is, this is right, because, because if I take your definition there, a chatbot is a kind of a mechanical thing that assumes that a simple answer works in every circumstance because they're not thoughtful and they're not rooted in the content. They're rooted in some piece of logic. Um, so you've got that on the one hand. That's way easier to sell it, probably cheaper too. And then, <laughs> then you've got Socrates on the other end who knows the answer and treats you like a person. John, the only way I know to answer that, because I'm a technical operations person, I'm not a great marketing person, as anybody that knows me knows. Um, what I would say to you, it's because it's the mission, it's the passion, right? 
the the mission and the passion here is I spent my whole career working with people that I admire so much, whether they're in benefits or HR and T that that are doing everything they can for these, I think of it as population management. I mean, they've got thousands of people whose lives they influence on a daily basis. And and so for for me, it's about helping them solve that mission. How do we get that person whose parent died or just got diagnosed with cancer or you know, is frustrated out of their mind because they can't get their PC to work and they're going to lose it. And, and the truth is you feel like, you know, from a user, you feel so disconnected from the company and you feel like you're such an unimportant part. And then when I get sent off to some call center where the guy really or gal doesn't really understand my issue, then it's even more frustrating. And there's no reason it needs to be that way. So, so I just continue to evangelize my passion, which I know there's a whole bunch of people out there that are really trying to help the people in their organizations um, and, and give them a different technology um, and a different approach and help them think differently about it. I mean, if you think about what do people use TikTok for, right? Most of the people that I know that are using TikTok are going out there and they're learning. It's all about what do I learn from the system? People see TikTok and they think videos, but it's really not. You know, yeah, there's entertainment and all that stuff out there. But a huge portion of it is how much, you know, how do I learn? YouTube, too. I can't yeah, tell you how exactly. many people that you ask them how to fix something. The first thing they say is YouTube. That's the go first place I go. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. why is it any different inside of a company? Yeah. You know, I would go mm-hmm. as far I would go as far to tell you that software will not look like it looks today. Pick your top vendors, SAP, Salesforce, Workday. I love them all. Fabulous companies, fabulous products. But software is not going to look like forms in the future. It's going to be a conversational interface in all the places. There's a place for forms, of course. But software is going to look like TikTok. It's going to look like Reddit. You know, when we go out there to read something, and that's hard for people to imagine. So it starts with, let's get your content in order. Let's make it easy for people to work with these systems of records on things that they don't very often. Let's save them a ton of time and make them super appreciative. Now, then we can also have a more advanced conversation of how do we make it meaningful, right? Amazon did a brilliant job for the world of making things super simple to order and getting anything I wanted from one place. We need to do the same thing. But there's also a big portion of the market, museums, movies, pick your you know, pick your example, Lego stores that are all about meaningful. It's not about saving me time. When I have a second, I need a second opinion on a cancer diagnosis. It's about meaningful, mm-hmm. right? And and a system has to be able to help both of those, right? And YouTube and TikTok do that, right? They can make you laugh and make you cry back to back. And it's more about what you want, right? As you as the user really want to experience than it is, you know, this departmental software. We don't think that way. Here's all my payroll questions. Here's all my benefits questions. Right. So I, I think this is fascinating. I, I love that you're talking about thinking differently. Um, I, I was I was uh, one of our clients is HRCI, the credentialing organization for HR professionals, and they recently did a survey. And um, they had an overwhelming response from HR professionals who say they have no time to think strategically. They have, they have absolutely no time to imagine what software looks like in the future, um, which means those conversations probably aren't being held, you know, internally. Uh, you say you're not a great marketer, but I would argue otherwise because you're looking at an ideal client profile that's much more progressive or perhaps better resourced. 
that can look at things differently. Can you give us an example of one of your enterprise clients, um, you know, and, and maybe some, some early wins that they, that they observed from their work with Socrates? Yeah, I think one of them that I'm super proud of, um, and, and I say I'm proud of them, notice, not proud of us, right? We just provided the technology. They, they did have, were key and instrumental in making this work. So they're, they're in almost 30 countries in almost an equivalent number of languages that are live on the platform. And when you start thinking about the nuances of content and the nuances of the way people express things across that many languages, it gets really complex pretty fast. For them, we processed over 30,000 pages of content. Think about that. You know, as a technologist, processing 30,000 pages of content sounds fantastic, but think about what they were asking their end users to do. Mm -hmm. They were asking the people in the workforce to sort through 30,000 pages <laughs> of content to try and find whatever it is that poor person wanted to do. And so, and I'm talking on the content side, we'll talk on the integration side in a minute, but the, why I'm so proud of them is that now they have, oh my gosh, couple hundred thousand answers in the system that they know are correct and they audit them on a regular basis. What are we telling people and what are we telling them is the correct answer from the company? Um, and yeah, are all the answers perfect? No, right? Are a lot of the answers policy and procedure? Sure. But again, you go back to the 80-20 rule. That's how you work your way through it. What is the 20% of material that 80% of the people are asking about? And that's what they're focusing on now. So they've done a wonderful job in this journey of, you know, we had all this content that was a hot mess to getting our arms around it, to getting people to single answers. And now we're able to audit and improve and focus on the things, whether it needs to be speed and convenience or whether it needs to be meaningful. They've also done almost 150 different integrations to their systems of record. Um, and the integration usage is like doubling every month. It's mind blowing, you know, but it's all about, um, it's all about being able to do it quickly and easily. I don't have to learn how to go use this application I'm supposed to do this in. I don't have to learn the navigation. I just say, I wanna do this. It asks me five questions and completes the transaction. There's one other phenomenon that you asked from a customer experience. And this customer is the one that kind of actually woke me up to it, which was amazing, was that almost 50% of their traffic comes from a little messenger that we gave them, which is not very sophisticated. We let them private label it and brand it. Our name isn't even on it. But what they've done is they've put it in a bunch of different places inside the organization. So it sits on a bunch of portals. It sits on a bunch of enterprise applications. They just populated it profusely everywhere. And more than 50% of their traffic comes over this simple little messaging bot. And, and so what that told me, which was so fascinating to me that I didn't expect, I guess I should have, is that it's all about convenience, right? If you've gone out to whatever um, ticketing system you're using and you have a little window and you pop it up and you're like, okay, here's the reason I'm here. I can't this, you know, I can't get Zoom to launch. I can't get Microsoft Teams to do this. But then you remember, oh yeah, you know, we moved. I was supposed to update my address and, oh, yeah, my wife's going to have a baby. I got to find out how much time I can take off. And, oh, yeah, you know, that importance of convenience and that importance of people being able to do it from wherever they are actually completely surpassed some of the tr traditional, and I won't say names, but traditional ways of communicating 
that people think about it when you think about it being vendor specific. It really, the tra- what blew me away is the traffic was actually higher, is higher based on just convenience and making it super easy for people to access. So, so I want to notice something that you said that sort of slipped through our conversation here. When you talk about looking at all the pages of content and getting answers in place and making a conversational interface, it glosses over the fact that part of what you do is this massive systems integration job so that the answer includes all the way out to the data input into the system that you have to do it. It's not just a thumb through the encyclopedia and find out what leave looks like and then go over to another system and do the leave thing. It's thumb through the encyclopedia, you're you're reading about leave, you click the button and it takes you to the thing or it asks you the information that's relevant to, for the system to fill it out itself. That's, that's really different than anything well, that anybody's talking about as a chat bot. So I'll be sarcastic on myself. How many times do you really want to go out and ask questions about policy? <laughs> right? oh, as, as probably, much as I probably 40 times an hour. Easy. I was going to say, John, in John's <laughs> case, so you, you, you talk about user engagement when we talk about the importance of content, but it's got to be the lowest user engagement there is, except when you need it. It's so right. important to right. you, but it's probably, you know, a dozen times a year at most. How many cases do you file? Right. So, so John, you're on a super important point, so I give you huge credit for it because you're exactly right, and that's where the usage is. So if you think about, let's take that same person who went out to file a case and then remembered, all right, so I need to file a ticket, HR or IT. They filed the case, and oh, yeah, while I'm here, I want to check on the other two cases I have. Okay, that's wonderful. But then the next thing they realize is, oh, my gosh, I need to change shifts this Friday. You know, can I change shift? Who's available? Can I change it? And then, you know, continue the same example, which is, oh, I forgot to change my withholding because we had a baby and I just got back and you know I forgot to do it, but it's super important. I need to go change my withholding. So if you think about all the things that a user really wants to do, content is extremely important and people kind of you know undermine it because the real excitement is around being able to do a transaction and and UKG and then turn around and update your address and workday and then turn around and file your tickets and service now and then turn around and file your HR tickets and fresh desk or, you know, pick your application. But that's what we ask users to do today. And they, like you said, we expect them to go out and do those things separately and learn the user interfaces. And then we do it three or four times a year. So that's the real excitement, whether it's federated content or whether it's federated systems of record that you're crossing. It's the ability to do everything from one place. Awesome. So, so for my money, you are perfecting a sort of a next generation of AI here. This is, this is not a machine learning intensive environment. This is um, the structure necessary to make machine learning operate effectively. And um, does, does your team understand that, that, you, that, you're, that you're inventing the future? Well, the, if you talk to any AI expert, you, you're exactly right. They'll tell you, we can't do this because we don't have good data sets. And to me, it's no different than, than you know, trying to tell Elon Musk he was going to build a self-driving car from you know, Yahoo Maps and Google Maps. You know, and that's what you have to work with. And they're right. The data isn't there. The, the beauty of technology that exographies when we have partners who are thinking through this is that we're building, if you think about it, what's the question, what's the action? What is the personalization that needs to happen? Those are the data training sets 
that will actually make the dream of AI and automation happen. Um, and so it's that journey that kind of the two rely on each other. But until somebody got in a car and drove all over the country with all the information that we needed to make self-driving cars, they couldn't happen. And that's the phase that we're in in HR and IT is that we have to continue to kind of manually build these data sets that we know are absolutely accurate and precise because they will be the data sets for machine learning and fully automated AI in the future. The things that all of us want, but the technology can't support today because the data is not good enough. That's awesome. This has been a blast. We could take another couple of hours and maybe be Easily. shortly. <laughs> uh, so thanks for showing up, Jean. Any last thoughts? Uh, yeah, I just would, Randy, I'd really like you to please let our listeners know how they can reach you and your team. I know it's pretty unusual, but you're actually welcome to email me at any time. It's rwomack at socrates.ai. And I'll even go as far as putting my phone number out there, and you're welcome to call my cell phone, which is 650-270-4500. And yes, I do answer my own phone. <laughs> So, you know, happy to talk to you, happy to extend, happy to share lessons learned. Um, I'll leave you with one other thought, Gene, that I actually got asked by a conference board member, not throwing different names out there, but I love the question, which was, she asked, I can't find people to write wow answers, engaging, simple, straightforward, because it's so different than the technical writers we have in the past. Mm -hmm. And my encouragement to her was, you actually already have them. Who in your organization is already a YouTuber? Who in your organization is already a TikToker? Um, you know, look for those guys for inspiration and thinking about how do we handle content and how do we make it engaging while still valuable to the organization. So, so not one last, the, not, one last tip. Not the corporate attorneys then. Okay, I've got it. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Well, they've crushed it. We all love these policy docs. They're our favorite. <laughs> exactly. They've crushed it all, right? They've crushed us. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Randy. This has been great fun, and we've enjoyed having you and learning more about Socrates. Thank you. Well, well thank you. And again, as always, great to see you. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye now. Right. Bye -bye now.